Hi, this is Joan Liu. I'm a university advisor at United World College in Southeast Asia in Singapore. Welcome to the Alp. Welcome to the Alp, the Admissions Leadership Podcast, a series of one-on-one conversations with people who have been climbing the leadership mountain in college admissions. Some are nearing the summit, some are already there. But how did they get there? And what can other climbers learn from their mindsets, habits, and experiences? I'm your host, Ken Anselment, VP for Enrollment at Lawrence University and the Dan Saraceno Chair of Enrollment Management for RHB. And with me today, as you heard, is Joan Liu. Joan, welcome to the Alp. Thanks, Ken. It's nice to be here. Ah, it's it's good to it's good to chat with you this way. We've uh, I, I should say I think this is the first transcontinental international dateline crossing episode of the Alp. So I have to ask, how is life in the future where you are, Joan? Well, life in the future is very sunny mm-hmm. and very humid and uh, thirty four degrees. Uh, yeah. And so for the rest of us, that's like 11 degrees, right? For no, folks that are more Fahrenheit centric. Yes. Thank you for, uh, thanks for uh, stomaching my dad joke. I will try to keep those to a minimum, John. Um, but as we were saying before, it, it's interesting. You and I actually haven't spoken without video for how long has it been now? I mean, months. Oh, yes. Like at least a year. Yeah. We are part of this, um, uh, group of folks and I don't we have a little posse um, yeah and we just kind of meet once a month and we share ideas um, it was uh, founded by Tom Golden in Tennessee and we just we just meet once a month and we check in on each other yeah and I I don't know about you but I find it so restorative this is uh it's you me Jen Dewar from Duolingo Laura mm-hmm. Kaub Good golly, Liz Gross, mm-hmm. Tom Golden. I mean, it's a whole, and people kind of come and go, but it's just this group of people that are kind of traveling along together. And, you know, we just share questions. And well, actually, what are the, what are the three questions we do every week or every month, Joan? We do, what are you working on? Yeah. What can we help you with? But then there's one more. The one everybody forgets. What are you celebrating? What's, oh, what what's you a celebrating? Win? That's right. <laughs> Because we're not we're not prone to do that, but right. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's such a uh, such a gift um, to do that. And th- so we've got this interesting group of folks that are in higher ed and folks that are either formerly from higher ed but are still in quote higher ed adjacent spaces. And it's just I don't know. I I come to these meetings so I don't even call them meetings; they're just gatherings, right? But yeah, and it helps. It I mean, for me, it's really helped me get out of the myopia of one's daily work, you know, because you have your set community at school and you're in it, right? And then you're in the fish tank and then you can't see outside of that, especially right now with like COVID, not being able to go to conferences. Yeah. Well, for me, the group has been really restorative. Yeah. And it's a, it's a Zoom meeting that I don't mind whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've been doing this since before Zoom meetings were a thing. So it was, uh, anyway, so a uh, hat tip to Tom Golden, by the way, for getting that getting that started. But um, all of this is my way of saying this is an adjustment, Joe, not actually being able to read your face while we're talking to each other. <laughs> no, no nonverbals. So I'll just have to listen really intently. 
Um, but thanks for thanks for making time. I know there's absolutely nothing going on at this time of year for either you or me or most of the people who listen to this show. But um, how how first of all, how is life in in Singapore right now? Um, life in Singapore is, I have to say, kind of fascinating because I um, am a guest here in this country. Yeah. And um, but I'm an American. Uh, so I've kind of seen how COVID has been handled in the United States and how COVID has been handled here and kind of seeing that juxtaposition of a very individualistic culture versus a very collectivist culture. Mm. And also kind of just seeing how that plays out in all aspects of life. Right. I mean, I, I saw it, pl- I see it play out all the time in the college process. Um, but to see it play out in, in a public health crisis has been really fascinating. So for example, like I'm looking outside right now and I can literally see the yellow um, duct tape that indicates the lines, um, the one meter line that people should kind of keep their distance from each other. Hmm. That's all over the island. And um, yeah, so it's it's been really eye opening and informative to be to be here at this time. I can imagine you. So you, you mentioned that you're a guest there. So how long have you been? in Singapore. And how did we get there? Maybe that might be an interesting part of the the conversation, Joan. So I've been here now. This is my eighth year here. Um, This, I've never been at a school um, this long, actually. Uh, Every other, let's call it stint I've had has been like (laughs) mainly two to three years. Um, Mm -hmm. I was at Bronx High School of Science. That was my first job for six years. And, um, I kind of got here, well, I got here through a series of steps, but I was first in New York City at Bronx Science teaching, actually, I was teaching English. And then my third year there, I was asked to be a college counselor. Actually, most people in the English department were asked, asked to be a college counselor. Well, um, as anybody would know, people in the English department make wonderful college admission folks. Right? <laughs> I just was like, I mean, we were asked a lot for recommendations and you also got a desk and I didn't have a desk at the time. <laughs> I, I, it's I, all I, about the accoutrement, that, right? Yes. I mean, that was the huge, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have an office. I'm going to have a desk. I mean, so I got my little cubicle space downstairs in the basement <laughs> of Bronx science with other English teachers and other folks from other departments. And so, yeah, so that's how I started to get into college counseling. Um, And then I um, started to feel like I wanted uh, an experience abroad. I can, I've always kind of struggled with the idea of kind of happiness and what Mm. that is defined Mm. as in America. And I kind of always just kind of thought, well, like, how is that defined in other countries? And what does that look like? And, you know, I'm the daughter of immigrants. I'm Taiwanese. And so, anyways, I applied for a couple of uh, jobs overseas. Um, I turned down a couple of jobs. I mean, it's kind of also interesting to think about what your path could have been. So I turned down a job in Peru. I turned down a job in Pakistan. And then I ended up taking a job in Turkey. Hmm. And that was, I would say, of the 20 years, the 22 years I've been in this profession, that was the, the, the year that made the most difference in my life professionally. So I was in the office with Larry Turns, Osman Oakman, and these two folks taught me, gosh, like most of what I know about um, 
best practices in college counseling. And, and just to set the scene, Joan, where exactly were you? Oh, I was at the coach school in Turkey. Okay. In Istanbul. It's on the, yeah. Istanbul is split between um, Asia and Europe and it was on the right. Asian side and it was really way out there. I mean, you, coach stands for lamb in Turkish and you really okay. could, I mean, you really could hear this. It's really far out there and you could hear sheep. And so okay. <laughs> it was just, it was a, it's a national school. Um, it's a very selective national school. Uh, it's an all Turkish school. It's run by the Ministry of Education. So just to kind of give everybody a picture of this, everybody is speaking Turkish except for maybe two departments, um, which is the English department and then the overseas college guidance department, which was the department that I was in. I mean, okay. everybody can speak English, but for the most part, um, everybody is speaking Turkish. And so, I mean, like the keyboards are like the Turkish alphabet, right? There's like six more letters. I'm like learning the Turkish keyboard as I'm going <laughs> and writing letters of recommendation. I'm learning interesting things like like I always thought A3 paper was the norm in the world. And then I get to Tur- Tur- Turkey and I'm like, oh, my God, like all of this paper is A4. Like, what do I do now? Like, but literally, oh, Joan. at this point, recommendations has now changed. <laughs> I'll have to invite you to the other podcast, which is pen and paper in college admissions land. So A3 and A4, what's the, I, I actually don't know. Um, is A4 smaller? A4 is longer. So I was like, oh, see? oh okay. gosh, I, have more, I have more space to write a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Ken, it was so fascinating because, you know, we would do these, presentations where half of it was in Turkish, half of it was in English. I would sit through all these meetings where everything was in Turkish and I was just kind of present and trying to read the room Mm. and just trying to integrate. You know, I had been told one of the best pieces of advice I had been given when I got there was don't expect people to be speaking English. Like you are the guest in this country. Yeah, That was very, very good advice. Um, Probably the best advice for my first month there. Anyway, so Osman Oakman and Larry Turns, they played a huge role in my professional development. They mentored me. Um, and this was really the first time that I also got a chance to work with international students who needed significant financial aid. Mm-hmm. And there was one day when a kid walked into the office and they were crying and the family came in too and they hugged Larry and I was standing to the side. And I could just see, you could just visibly see what this full financial aid package meant to the family. Hmm. And Larry said to me afterwards, the greatest difference you can make as a counselor is with kids who need full financial aid. I will never forget that. So I learned a lot about financial aid and scholarships. Most of what I know is from that office. Um, So anyways, I went to that office for just one year. I mean, it was really just one year, but it's, it's had implications through every other year subsequently. And then I went to um, England for a while. Um, I was at an international school there. And then I came back to Turkey um, to work at a small school called Hisar Okulara, which is basically the Hisar school. And okay. was asked to build the foundation of a college counseling office there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyways, were, so were, I, you, were you a shop of Joan? Were you a shop of one at that time? Were there others that you were building along with? I asked for two things, Ken, when I got that job. Which, if okay. you ever asked for anything that you need when you take on a job, my goodness, say what you want. I asked for two things. I asked for one at the time. I asked for Naviance because <laughs> I wanted a place to store institutional data. I knew yeah. that was important to the life of the school. And the second thing I asked for was um, an 
like an associate director who would, who could double as a translator because we needed all the letters of recommendation translated. And? And I got both because- You got what you wanted. Didn't Liz brought that up in, as, as like the lesson learned at one of our recent meetings, right? Didn't she say, ask for what you want? Ask for what you want. Yeah. And that's, it's weird that that still seems, at least in some circles, like new news, <laughs> right? Well, Be you know, bold. <laughs> you aren't often, you are, you aren't often given the space, right? Yeah. I was suddenly given the space. And I think I was given the space because I had worked in Turkey previously. Mm-hmm. I think it was going to be hard for them to find somebody who understood the, the Turkish culture. So I think from their point of view, they were like, okay, so we have this person who actually has been in Turkey before. So I think that they, there was like a level of trust there. Sure. And so um, anyways, I, I was very happy to tell them what, what, we, what we needed. <laughs> well, good for you. Yeah. And, and then, so you built this office. How long were you there then? I was there for two years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting my, my whole chronology mixed up, by the way, Ken, because I'm realizing I've got like COVID brain. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, my <laughs> brain, my brain is oatmeal. Um, and all props to my friend Susan Zarwell, who I think coined that term, and I have used it almost every day for the past 14 months now. Yeah, I have this blur. It's like this blanket in my brain. Anyways, I'm getting my I'm getting my own history wrong. Anyways, so that's all right. Anyways, I, I came here because on the recommendation of a, a friend, a friend called me and said, "Hey, you know, I think that um, you you should apply for this job." So then mm. I did. And, and that this, was eight years ago. Yeah. And that was eight years ago. Okay. Um, and no, no Joan story I think is complete without maybe touching on something. If people are saying, gosh, that name is awfully familiar. Um, let's turn back the clock. So April 13th, 2018. Yeah. Jeez. That, that was the, okay. So UT Tyler in Texas made a budget, a huge budgetary error. And they had given out like 60 plus full scholarships. We're talking tuition, room and board to like Mm -hmm. 60 plus Nepal kids. I mean, I say 60 plus because I actually don't know the number. I mean, it's been reported in different ways. And, you know, is it 63? Is it 62? I mean, the number keeps shifting. So, but I know that there's at least 60. We found 60. Hmm. There might be three other kids out there. Um, Anyways, uh, let's just call it a, a graduating class, okay? Because I think it's like for like private schools or independent schools, this is like a, your graduating class. Mm. And these are kids all scattered across Nepal. So they're not from one single school. They're from a whole multitude of schools from east right. to west in the country. Anyway, so on April 13th, all of these kids wake up to this message in their inboxes that says, you know, sorry, but we have to revoke this scholarship. Like you no longer have this full scholarship. And it's... April 13th. And we all know, Ken, what that means in the admissions world in the United States, right? I mean, April 13th is when you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So these kids had, and just to give you a sense of what these kids had done, some of them had given up scholarship spots in Nepal to say yes to this offer. Some of them had given up other spots in the United States for this offer. So now, like, it's like they're one their one choice was taken away from them. And and many of them had been working towards this for a good portion of their lives. Like to try to take the SAT and the TOEFL, like this is something that starts early on in your life in the right. fall in terms of like your aspiration. So, and they were really top, they're all top students. They were like 14, 15 above. I mean, that's why they got the scholarship and A, A plus students. 
And so mm-hmm. by any measure, they were outstanding kids um, amongst the best kids in Nepal. And they were also, they all took that scholarship because they had no money. So they were all high achieving, low income Nepali students. And on April 13th, they were delivered this news and it was devastating to a lot of them. Um, some of them had already shared the news with their families. For many of these families, it was their first child to go to university, much less to go abroad. One child contemplated suicide. He was so devastated by the news. And um, because, you know, attached to this news is not just a scholarship, right? It's like global mobility, social mobility, right? opportunity, yep. um, your future, your future generations, right? This is like a huge catalytic shift for a generation to go from no college to college and then to go to college abroad, right? Right. To a Western country. So anyways, these kids get this news. On April 20th, I got a phone call from my very dear colleague, Samantha Moktan Lama, who was at the GEM school at the time. And she's like, oh, hey, I heard that the scholarship from UT Tyler, you know, like I have a kid whose scholarship was revoked. Does that ever happen? And I didn't actually believe her, Ken. Like I told her she'd misread the email because I had never heard of a U.S. university doing this. And then then a couple days later, um, Selena Mala, who was at the – Education USA Center in Kathmandu sent out this sort of call for support and help to to the international admissions community, um, you know, the international ACAC affiliate. Right. And then I thought, oh, and I had had like prior ties to Selena and Samantha through the International ACAC Scholar Program, which um, we founded and built during my time as I, Inclusion and Access Chair. And so I felt close to Nepal. I had visited them in Nepal. I live in Southeast Asia. So anyways, we decided to get involved. And then we basically ran this remote college counseling boot camp, trying to find all these kids and then adding them into this Facebook group. And then we, after that, we, and as we were doing that, we were trying to also like leverage networks, reach out to folks on your side of the desk to see if there was anybody who might still have a space left or a seat left or scholarship money left. You know, I think the right. first email I sent out went out to 1,500 people. And, and the clock and, is ticking at this point, right? Because right? the news got to, it sounds like you started mobilizing when? April 23rd, 24th around then? That. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first phone call I got was from um, South Korea, um, a U.S. university, SUNY Korea, called and I didn't even know there was like a state university of New York in Korea. <laughs> so I was shocked. Why not? Of course. <laughs> the first half of that phone call was, who are you? Where are you? Like, I didn't know. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> anyway, so the first three kids in the group um, went off to SUNY Korea. And they, you know, these are kids who were like thinking they were going to the United States, then had the yeah. scholarship pulled away from them, then had basically a week to decide. You know, there were like 18 kids who applied and then they picked three and off they went. And Joan, was this just triaging at this point? Like, how do you determine who the first three are out of a Um, group of 60? SUNY Korea determined who the first three were. They did. Okay. So the colleges were making choices. Got it. Okay. We had a couple of unofficial rules in the group, which was we kind of established a culture of we're all in this together. 
Mm-hmm. When you take an offer, you then have to withdraw from everything else. It was almost like, you know, it was like not early decision. Yeah. It was like late decision, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're out of the boat. You, you, you commit, you're out of the boat, you go. You go right. to the visa appointment, right? And so anyways, and Ken, it's like chaos on the ground, all right? Because first of all, of course. I, can't even, I can't even pronounce people's names correctly. I find out that there's not like one Abishek or two Abisheks, but there's three Abisheks, right? I keep getting everybody confused because I've not met these children. You know, mm. also like we all have day jobs, Ken. Like there are like eight of yeah, us. Yeah, this is your, this is your, yeah, this is volunteer work for you. Volunteer work. But it, I mean, anybody who's done financial aid work for international students knows that even during the regular cycle, you apply for a need aware, meets full need, liberal arts college, your chances are like less than 1%. So trying to do this after April 1st, like we mm-hmm. just felt there was this huge her- Herculean task in front of us. And then lines kept shifting, right? Like every yeah. time we thought we had a win, then it would become something else. It would become like, okay, but now those kids, like we have no idea how to get through the visa process for Korea. Like we, we <laughs> don't know. And then we had like visa denials. We had, and then we had everybody basically writing down all the questions that they got in their visa interviews. Um, Selena was working hard with the U.S. Embassy uh, to, to move up appointments. You and know, it's just was, three of you doing this? There's eight, there's eight of us doing this, and there's okay. a, a team. There's a team. There's like a Nepal team, which is basically Samantha and Selena. Selena was really like uh, Nepal headquarters. And then okay. there was on, and so that's like, we would consider that the, the Nepal team, Diva, Shresa, um, who had worked at some liberal arts colleges in the States, like Bucknell. And um, then we had sort of like the international portion of the team. So there were five of us from five different countries were working on various things. So like one of us was working on like social media, like Twitter storms yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, like uh, reaching out to press somebody else built uh, a website and uh, yet another colleague uh, sat and built out a pro bono counseling organizational like flow chart because we needed basically like we asked the greater community to come and pair with some of these kids so yeah. there's eight of us and then there's like 30 other counselors from southeast asia who are being paired with these kids and helped help with these kids individually this is this is like a, you you're running a the most rapid startup startup Oh, it was a rough time. I don't know. I don't actually know. Like I think about like where I am now and where I was then. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, I don't know how to explain this, but I'm like for your listeners out there, sometimes you feel like something comes along that was, I don't want to say, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this, but it's like something comes along and it's like, you're ready. Like you're in the right place at the right time with the right skill set with the right resources to be able to help because like Ken earlier in my career, I would not have had like the network or the understanding of, I mean, the other thing I think that's really important to this story is that we, we decided early on, I insisted, you know, that we take a global approach to this. I knew we were not going to be able to get, if we could even get scholarships in the United States, we wouldn't be able to get them for for 60 kids. So we took a global (laughs) approach to yeah. scholarships and financial aid. And people came from, forward from like in, English medium institutions came forward from Indonesia, Hong Kong, South Korea, Qatar, you know, Canada, the United yeah. States, you know, you know what I mean? I mean, it was a broad swath. And so mm-hmm. I would not have been able to do this earlier in my career. 
And so it's like one of those things where you just almost feel like I really felt Ken called. I felt called. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of, um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I don't actually love being in a leadership role. Like I like being kind of second, you know, like I love. <laughs> That's fine. I'm sorry that the episode has to end now. <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I'm kind of a reluctant leader and I'm yeah. kind of driven by like, um, like the cause will lead me, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm mm. the cause in a way. Right. And so like me, like Marie Kobayashi, Kelly Braun, Emily Dobson, like we were all kind of like led by this cause. Mm. And mm. Uh, yeah. That's a really interesting way of putting that. The cause led you. Yeah, the cause, and if the cause is great enough, which I mean, I saw this as a real, almost like it's like a higher ed crisis, you know. And then we yes. were lucky, Ken, because this platform came along. Because I mean, here's the other thing that's going along with all of this, right? Can you imagine, like, we've got all this stuff going on, and we don't have, we don't have a CRM. Like, I don't have Laviance. I don't have anything that's like it. Right? We've got our damn Google Drive, and so this platform comes along, Concourse. Jamie Conkey there was like, okay, well, we'll give you a platform to do this, like pro bono. And basically the universities can apply to the kids versus the kids applying to the universities. Huh. And they flip the script, right? And they are still flipping the script. And so I, I just think that sort of the right people kind of came along all together. Like we, as a team of eight, all came along together. And we, some of us didn't, we didn't never know. Some of us never had never even worked with each other before. I've like never worked before with some of these women. And um, we are all now really good friends. And I think that's a really lovely thing that's come out of this is that like the friendship and the collegiality and like what we learned with financial aid, what we learned about the post April 1st space is fascinating. Yeah. At, at what point did you start believing that you would be able to, well, you ended up, how many ended up getting seated at universities? Well, 56 got seats. 56. Okay. Yeah, 54 made it because two people did not okay. get a visa. We had a couple, okay. two kids, I and mean, we had one child cry for a visa three times and was denied all three times. Yeah. But 54, 54 people whose lives had been disrupted to that degree ended up finding college homes. Yeah, thanks to our the, colleagues on your side of the desk who stepped forward and who made exceptions and who were kind of yeah. like, you know what? Like, yes, yes, we can do this. And who went to their presidents. Um, you know, uh, I, I just feel like people pushed the rules as far as they possibly could. Yeah. And we, you know, Eric Hoover wrote a, a great article about this and it, he talked yeah. about it bringing out the best in the, per well, it's the worst, it's like the best of times, the worst of times. And, but I do feel like it brought out the best in, in the profession. Yeah, this I think I've referred to it's a wonderful life before on this show, but this sounds like the moment where um Donna Reed's character calls in all the favors, call and everybody in town comes in to help George Bailey in his time of need. Mm -hmm. Um at what point did you start believing you'd get 54? I mean, when you were getting into this, how many did you think you might actually find a home for? I don't know, Ken. I didn't I didn't kind of it's funny because I had a couple of colleagues say to me, can you just like 20 is going to be successful. But to me, I was kind of like, well, but no, child no. 20 and child 60, like they both deserve an equal chance. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it was like, for, and Ken, you know this about me. I'm a very all or nothing person. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a strength of mine, but it is also a huge weakness of mine. And in this particular case, it ended up being a strength because I was like, they are either all going or not. There you go. I didn't really want to stop until the last child was placed. And mm. we this extended into two years because some kids didn't get placed that first year. So we do have some kids who started a year after that. So, so now you are on, so this is the third anniversary, right? Or just past the third anniversary? Yeah. So these, these poor kids, I, we were just talking to them this weekend. They have yeah. been through, Ken, they have been through the scholarship oh application, right? Yeah. Then they get to the United States and then there's the ICE scare last year where they might have right. to be home, right? And then, um, and then there's COVID, right? So they've lived through a global pandemic, mm-hmm. <laughs> an immigration scare, and they lived through a scholarship revocation. So we were saying to the kids, well, you're, you're ready. You're ready for the employment market because <laughs> truly nothing else can happen to you, honestly. Maybe so, these are the ones that are going to save the world. <laughs> Let's hope so. Kids, are you going to do that? <laughs> you're the ones. <laughs> oh, my God. Joan, that – I've heard you tell the story before, but the <sighs> – I, well, first of all, it never it never fails to give me goosebumps. But I don't know. This just it's incredible to think about what all of you did and how quickly you did it. And you're right; it brought out the best in it brought out the best in so many people out of a a terrible situation. Yeah, and I think I learned a lot from that, Ken. I mean, it was in oh, God, yeah in sort of very sterile terms, like it was sort of the professional development opportunity of a lifetime in a way, you know, I mean, I hate to kind of put it in those terms, but I mean, I just, the learning that happened and the growth. Every day, yes, every day every you're day. learning something. And, and you learn something new and then you learn, and you also, like, I think it gave me a window into the visa challenges that students had because I'd actually never been involved in anything that had to do with the visa. Like I had not been involved with appointments. I had not been involved. I didn't even know what questions were being asked during the visa. I didn't know mm. what visa denials, like the reasons for the visa denials were. You know, I didn't know that you needed to have a certain amount in your bank account to be issued a visa to go to Canada. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. certain things like this. Like I just didn't know the nuances of that process. And I think for many students, like you can actually get to the point where you get a full scholarship in the States and you've gotten good grades. And you've made huge contributions to your community. And then this three-minute interview determines whether or not you can actually – have all those things be materialized. Quite, it's quite eye-opening, you know? Well, and every day, I imagine, was risk, reward, risk, failure, risk, reward, risk, fail. I mean, like just the rapid iteration uh, and prototyping of this entire process. Yeah, it was rapid iteration. <sighs> I, will, I will say that um, um, I think it changed all of our lives. Like I think oh, it yeah. changed um, how we looked at and any high achieving low income student, I think it mm. gave us a window into um, global South challenges, you know, mm. Southeast Asia, mm. and just, you know, also the challenges that the students had to go through to get to this point. You know, if you're a student in Nepal and there's a thousand students and you've got a teacher uh, who's teaching that many kids and you're asking them for a teacher recommendation and they're like, what is this? We don't have this here in Nepal. Like you just go and take a national exam. So why are you asking me to write? What is this that I'm asking? Why is this counting? Why does this, why is this part of the evaluation of the merit of you? You know, 
So there's all these barriers that these kids have to kind of... That's a legitimate question. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so some of these kids were like, you know, just the way in which they had to almost kind of also teach their communities how to write the teacher recommendations. Remember, these are most, most of these kids don't have a college counselor. I mean, that's why we were involved is that most of these kids did not have a designated college counselor at their school. They didn't need one because their, their systems don't require a college counselor. Yet we impose that. Well, the U.S. system is very, it's, I, I think it's the most complex, difficult, yeah. nuanced, uh, complicated system in the world. And I think it's actually impossible to, to do the U.S. system without an advocate yeah. Well, and even within the U.S., those same barriers exist, yeah. right? I mean, there yeah. are so many students that have no access to a counselor and they're still expect. And Eric Hoover even wrote a piece about that. Like the, you know, hey, here's the CSS profile. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, just to help you pay for college uh, or at least find ways to pay for college. And, you know, I know a lot of colleges this year have been taking a deep, deep look at their processes um, and the barriers that have, you know, just through time have gained this solid foundation and people are starting to tear away at some of those things. I, I, you know, I know, you know, Marie Bigham was on the podcast early talking about hack the gates and, and all the work that started there and to see where we are now. I mean, we still have so, so much farther to go, but that it feels like there is more, pressure being put on the systems that have been in place for so long and some of them are starting to break and i think that's that's a good thing yeah i i see hope too ken i i feel like also we're asking better questions of ourselves yep yeah absolutely leaders are also pushing themselves to ask better questions you know like mm-hmm. i think we've become more introspective and reflective and mm-hmm. i think that, that can only lead to good things well, and asking why, even of the things that seem like they're, you know, easy transactional things, why do we need this? Do, can we do it a different way? Mm-hmm. The answer is quite often, yes, we can, if yes. we have to do it at all. Uh, there's a question I sometimes ask folks on the show. It feels like I should ask this now, although maybe you've already deployed it, which is um, the superpower question, right? You've been given 24 hours uh, to deploy a superpower that can only be used to affect change in higher ed. Um, it sounds like you use that superpower for months working with the students from Nepal, but this is the fantasy part of the show. How would you use your superpower, Joan? Um, I don't know, Ken. I, I think that it would have to do something with um, low-income students around the world, mm-hmm. you know, and access to opportunity. I think there are so many talented talented kids out there. I mean, Ken, you probably already know this about me, but I, you know, I, I really am only talking to you because my, my own father had a scholarship, you know, like my dad got a scholarship to go to Canada. Mm-hmm. And so that was the gift that was given to him. And the thing that changed the trajectory of my family's, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, generational destiny, I guess we'd call mm-hmm. it. And so I, I, am lucky to have the life I have because my dad benefited from that scholarship. Hmm. So Hmm. I think that, um, I just wish that there was more money for low income students. Yeah. And I wish also that leaders 
would make decisions. Sometimes it is not a matter of ability. Sometimes it's a matter of volition. Mm. I, think, I, 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 w- I hope that we would make, as we, as we evolve, like braver choices in regards to money, you know, because sometimes it really upsets me, Ken. Like I, I see, you know, for example, a kid will get a full scholarship somewhere. Uh, we're working with one kid now, like on a pro bono basis. He's got a full scholarship, but he can't afford the hidden costs. So what's standing in his way between him right. and going to this fantastic school in the United States? The plane flight, right? And so, or or sometimes it's a hidden cost of like the visa stuff. And I just, mm-hmm. this is the kind of stuff that, and I was talking to somebody um last year in Burundi and he was saying oftentimes it is these seemingly small things these seemingly small barriers the last piece that cannot be resolved and that keep a student from going that's that really kills that really kills mm. me so mm. I don't know maybe there were I, I would run some sort of foundation where it was just gap funding fill the gaps I'll, I'll lift the 24-hour restriction on that superpower if it means that you can make that change last Joan. Yeah, I can. Thank you. What are you doing these days to restore your battery? Because, I yeah. mean, you're, you, the Energizer Bunny has nothing on you, Joan. <laughs> well, um, I, I have, um, so it's interesting because I read somewhere that like when athletes, go through something that's tremendously difficult or go through a really hard challenge that there needs to be a recovery period. Right. Right. I actually never gave myself a recovery period mm-hmm. from hmm. um, what we did with um, the Nepali students and it caught up with me this year. Yeah. So yeah. I had a series of health challenges that I had to deal with um, the first yeah. year of this year. And I would say that I don't do a very good job of taking care of myself. Mm. You know, it's something that I'm kind of struggling with. It's something that I'm kind of working on. And the, the, it, the difficulty is that I'm, I'm really attracted, Ken, to really difficult things. It, in, fact, <laughs> in fact, it's like, if it's the, like the more difficult it is, it's like, I want to tackle it. Yeah. And you're the person that runs toward the fire. A, a little bit, but I, I would say, because I know there are a lot of people who are listening to your podcast who are, similar and who Mm -hmm. give a lot, right? I mean, and the entire profession kind of is a giving profession. You're not in education for the salary. (laughs) You know, you're you're in education because you have some sense of of a larger picture out there. And so I I have had to kind of really learn um, that you have to really restore yourself. You have to... Mm. And I think as Angel Perez said on your first podcast, you have to say no to say yes. So my mantra this year has been to say no. And I read this great book, Essentialism. And in in the book, there's like, first of all, in the book, there's 14 ways to say no politely. Great chapter. And then the other thing that the book says is, um, if it is not a definitive yes, then it needs to be a no. Ooh. So if it's not a hell yes, then it's a definitive no. If it's not a hell yes, it's a definitive no. Yes. The book again, Joan, is? Essentialism. Okay. That's going on the list. Yeah, that is the best thing I've read lately. Oh, gosh. Okay. 
So you get right to the rapid, right to the rapid descent. Um, just say no. <laughs> I remember when you said that in in our monthly gathering, and and how much everybody resonated with that. But especially now, you know, you talk about folks that listen to this. You know, a lot of people, everybody. I mean, it's been it's been quite a fifteen months that folks have been through some mm-hmm. longer than that. But, you know, I think about even my own colleagues at Lawrence who have been basically doing series after series of marathon sprints, right? Like carrying the class of 2020 all the way through welcome week and beyond while recruiting the class of 2021 and not, not getting a break. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, sure, we had some time off uh, during the winter, but winter in Wisconsin, not much of a break. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that folks take your advice to heart, Joan, um, to recover, to rest and recover so we can come back and do it again, whatever it is that we've said a definitive yes to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Joan, this seems like a good time to... Since you've already begun the rapid descent, let's let's keep going. So okay. are you ready? Yep. What is your walkout song? Oh, I don't really have a walkout song, Ken. Yes, you do. It's do you want me to tell you what it is? Oh, I don't know, Ken. I, I think I answered I, I shared this with you before, but now I don't remember. Moonlight Sonata, movement number three. Oh right. The movement number three is the one that's frenetic. Okay. So people, people who, people who, <laughs> No Moonlight Sonata, no the movement that's very kind of like nocturnal and slow and moody. But the but movement number three is like uh, fiercely frenetic. Here we go. So it's that stressed is- out, Ken. It is stressed out. <laughs> and and would you say that is still your walkout song? Probably. Okay, we'll leave it there. I'm not known for being <laughs> relaxed. Can I just say that? <laughs> <laughs> You already answered best thing you've read lately, which is, which is essentialism. Mm-hmm. What are you eager to read next? Um, Give or Take by Adam Grant. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, are you a podcast fan? I mean, besides this one, of course, Joe. Um, but do you listen to podcasts? I only really, can I, I have to say, I don't listen to that many podcasts, but I do, um, I do listen to Invisibilia. Invisibilia. There we go. Yeah. Okay, because uh, I'm always, uh, that's the new question I've started asking this year, which is, uh, what's a podcast you particularly enjoy? So mm-hmm. Invisibilia? Mm-hmm. Um, I already know the answer to this one. What's your favorite thing to make in the kitchen, Joan? Oh, I don't cook, Ken. <laughs> um, I, my guess is with all the street food you've got around you, yeah, or I'll throw like a salad together, but that's not really, I wouldn't count that as cooking because basically you take the salad out of the bag, you wash it and throw some tomatoes in there, right? So I don't, yeah. really, I'm not, I don't actually, I don't actually really even enjoy cooking. I mean, I, I will, if there are people over, then I semi enjoy it, but I don't, I don't, cooking is not something that appeals to me. <laughs> so, so let me take, I'll take a twist on this question then. So when I finally get myself to Singapore, Mm. To see you and let's say Andrea Hendrickson, right? Yeah, we'll get um, out for dinner, Ken. That's what we're gonna do. Where are we going? Um, well, Andrea and I probably will take you out for burgers if you eat meat. Okay, I'm going all the way to Singapore to get burgers. Well, we because we do a burger. Andrea and I always do a burger meetup, so we, okay. always go, we have like a little bit of a burger food crawl. 
Um, okay. <laughs> but, okay. So if you've never been to Singapore, Ken, we'll take you to like um, one of the famous hawker centers where you can get like the best street food in Singapore or we'll take you to uh, yes, a restaurant where you can have like local food. Yeah. We would, we would do that because we wouldn't have you come all the way here to eat Western food. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Because by the way, that is on my bucket list. All right. And we'll get to your bucket list in a bit, but that's, that's definitely on mine. Question number six, uh, what do you use to take and keep your notes? I am, Ken, a very analog person. and There is no shame in that. I, I am the least techie person on my team here at UWC. I have mm-hmm. a fantastic team here that I work yeah, I, I'm not worried about what you are. don't use. Phenomenal. And they are always giving tech tips and they're super tech heavy. Yeah. And I'm probably the, the least um, tech person ever. But I still, like, I've got right next to me, like, a notebook with a pencil, Perfect. with a number two pencil and like lined paper. I just find it easier for me to yep. keep track of stuff. So okay. yeah, I'm a big fan of paper. Same here. Absolutely. In fact, this podcast has made me shift my practices. I used to be all digital and now I've gone back to just the tactile experience of writing notes with a really nice pen. So number two pencil, lined paper. Mm-hmm. I'm here for that. Um, You've already given a memorable bit of advice, but let's hear it. So the memorable bit of advice that you've received. Well, I will say that uh, there was a point during the whole uh, crisis when we were working with the Nepali kids where I just was like on my knees, Ken. I was like on my knees. And um, one of my best friends, he just said to me, Joan, just keep going. And I remember (laughs) writing that down in my notebook almost every day, like just keep going like we don't know what's ahead of us but just keep going and we kind of just said to ourselves you know what is one small thing we can do each day to move this forward because of course you don't know where it's going to go right we look right. an unprecedented situation you don't know what's going to happen and he just said to me just keep going and i think mm. that's just really good advice like you don't have to keep going well right you just need to keep going <laughs> just keep going <laughs> that works for me yeah um Last question. I already previewed it. Bucket list. So what's an item on your bucket list that you haven't yet checked off? Gosh, Ken. Um, well, I would really like to, I mean, my mom studied in Japan on a scholarship um, mm-hmm. like my dad did. And she has a fond place in her heart for Japan. And I have always wanted to see the cherry blossoms in Japan. I see all these pictures on Pinterest and I just think it's <laughs> so beautiful, and I would just love to see that in my lifetime. Oh, in person. Oh. May it happen. That sounds like a definitive yes. Ken, can I ask you what's on your bucket list? Nobody asks me questions. I'm kidding. I'm, so, um, I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I'm just sure. Curious. I'm I'm going to eat street food in Singapore. That's one thing. Okay. Um, actually, I think I might be checking an item off my bucket list this summer. Um, if I do it right. So um, I'm going to be heading out to New Mexico and this is a shout out to Sam Ritter um, with the the Davis Scholars Program in New Mexico. And um, they're opening up a new program up mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to see if Sam can either take me road biking or fishing in New Mexico. I don't know. Oh, wow, just, that sounds lovely. Yeah. Well, and Sam Ritter is just a magical human being and someone I'd, I'd like to be in his orbit. So it's kind of a it's a, it's a gift. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, that, that's on the list and it's something that I, I'm thinking I might check off, but, but the real big one for me is, um, I want to do the five 
iconic climbs of the Tour de France uh, on a bike. Oh, wow. Not all in a row. It's going to take a while to do it, but I wanted, I don't know if that's five separate bucket list items or one bucket list item with five sub bullets, but yeah, that's a big one for me. That that sounds amazing. I don't know. Cherry blossoms in Japan sound pretty boss too. Yeah. Well, I'll be walking through those. <laughs> oh, I just have to, I just have this image of what that would be like. And I think I'm going to, can I borrow or take one of your items and put it on my list too? Yeah. I will send you cherry blossoms so you can put them on your bike as you do the <laughs> mountain yeah. climb. <laughs> that ador- adorn the bike with cherry yes. blossoms. That sounds, that's, that's next level. Then you'll have East list. and West with you, Ken. See? Ugh. Joan. <laughs> it has been, this has been fun. Thank you for making time on your morning and my evening for us to, to do this. It's, it's fun to be with you in this, this way. Ken, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you on your podcast. Well, thanks for sharing your story. I know I said I'd say it again, but I, I really, the story itself is incredible and in the work that you did. Uh, it's just, um, uh, I am in awe of what you've done. Well, shout and, out to the Paul Justice League because it was a team effort. So well done to all of you. I tip my cap to you. <laughs> um, in the show notes, I will provide that shout out as well as references to all of the other things that you've uh, m- mentioned here. But in the meantime, Joan, may all your big dreams come true, at least the good ones. And to you, dear listener, thanks for listening. Be well and do well. Mm-hmm.